Testing, testing. One, two, Gig Stories podcast. Christopher, are you there? I am. I am. You you went right into the microphone there, mate. Your your mic technique has gone right out the window. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited that we're back. I I I didn't even know how to turn the computer on. No. Well, I've had the computer on, but I've not I've, I've not been on Zoom, and obviously we were just about to to go on, and then it's like you, you must update. It's like oh god, I've needed to update for many years. <laughs> Especially my haircut and my, my wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> well, listener, you'd be pleased to know he's got his jumper on. Oh God, yeah, winter drawers on. And and it, I mean, you you haven't changed. You haven't changed. Well, I've, um, I've, had, a, I've had a shower and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Only you can prove that one at the moment. By no, that's true. That's so, true. It it's been a while, listener. And we we appreciate your patience. Chris and I have um, both been off uh, really busy. Uh, lots going on in in our lives, personally and professionally, as I'm, uh, as we know is the case for everyone. But I mean, what's happened, Chris? Since since, since we've last been on, I've got even more grey hairs, a dog, and a tattoo. So. You know. Oh, you got a tattoo. I knew oh, you were looking for. I knew you were looking for a, a, a an artist. Did you find an artist, or did you <laughs> find somebody down the back street who was doing it with a heated up needle and some well, biros? Well, B B my ten year old just said, "I'll do a few, Dad." So, you know, can't go wrong. <laughs> but that's that's for a, a, a that's for another podcast. Oh, let me see it. Where what? is it? Oh, it's oh, not on there, is it? This is yeah. This is absolutely not for this podcast. Um, the uh, I'll definitely show you the one that I have at Christmas, which will be on my forearm, which is going to be right, a Glastonbury okay. a Glastonbury themed one. But this is just a nonsensical word that only means, and I won't talk about. I won't talk about it here. That just means uh, something to me. But um, okay, it was it was quite interesting. And and away from this podcast, I'll I'll talk about the psychology and the emotions that I felt as it finished. Because I thought you were going to get a, a dolphin on your ankle. <laughs> I thought that's, or maybe live, is that, is that love, a is that is it live a, love, laugh was across it? your across your lower back. Funny you should say that. I've got love, live, laugh, prosecco. I'll cross. Excellent. You don't have to be mad to work here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That is brilliant. That is brilliant. So what have you been up to, Mr. Payne? Um, I've been doing lots of photography. Um, I have I've just finished a week working on Manchester Animation Festival, which is always a highlight of the year. Love it. It's great because I, I know nothing. Well, obviously, I know cartoons and I know animated films and all that kind of stuff. But um, the levels and the artistry that's going into a lot of the work that's been created now is is wonderful and a lot of it is coming out of manchester and the manchester area um so the likes of mckinnon and saunders um who you may not know the name but they oh, did yeah. the animation for corpse bride for um well bob the builders one that they they've done for years and years and years um they did fantastic mr fox um and yeah so uh, loads of stuff with them and yeah just i love the fact that the people who go to this 
this festival. There's a lot, lot of um, animation students there, and they're just um, real geeks. But I mean that in a really positive way. I love the fact that they are just dedicated to what they like. I mean, we're geeks, obviously. We're geeks to do this podcast, and I love that level of um, geekery. It, Geekery, yeah, just they love what they do and they they live, breathe they, this this stuff, and um, you know everyone's sketching while they're just sitting having a coffee, and um, and it was similar. I had another job um, the previous month, which was the Comic Art Festival in the Lakes, and again, that's that's about that's graphic novels and it's um, uh, comic books, exactly the same vibe. All these people who just live and breathe this stuff, and yeah, I love it. I love a geek. That's amazing. I love it. Mm. Sounds good. It sounds good. I've, I've been doing bits of bits of music. Um, not a massive amount. I've only been to one gig gig, as in a kind of popular music combo. Um, but I've been doing quite a bit of uh, classical music. And I saw one gig which went into my top 10 gigs of all time, which came straight from left field. And it okay. wasn't left field. It, it, it wasn't left field, listener. No, I mean, it wasn't left field, but it came there, from left field, yeah. Which, which, if it was left field, it'd probably go straight into your top five, I reckon. Very, probably, very probably, yeah. Well, listener, let me let me just introduce what we're doing. This is just going to be a very short episode. Um, the only special guest in this episode is Chris. And oh. Yes, being me. Um, we, we just wanted to touch base, say hello, and essentially let you know that we have started work on uh, the next series. So we are starting to interview brand new guests and we will be back uh, with our regular looking podcast um, with some few new ideas. Um, so we're excited to get back to it. So we haven't gone away, well, we have, but we're back. And we just thought we would have uh, a catch up with each other and with you, the listener because we'd love to have more involvement uh, uh, from you going forward. Um, we really want to get our social media page going so that it can be become a bit more of a community and, and that we can have uh, your input and we'll, we'll talk more about that. But this is the Gig Stories podcast. It's about live music. And since we've uh, at last been with you, we've, we've had all kinds. We've had the festival season and we've had our own... Uh, personal gigs i had a highlight personal highlight last week um that we'll talk about with with my son and uh chris who i'm sure you're intrigued to know has been to a gig that's gone straight into his his top 10 so before we start there i just want to acknowledge that as we are recording this the very sad news about the passing of wilco johnson has just come through um Legend, uh, I would say genius. Um, that word does get thrown around, but I think um, his back catalogue uh, and, and the influence of Dr. Feelgood on not just British music, but I think sort of, you know, that, that garage punk sound, new wave worldwide. Uh, so it's really sad. It's really sad. And um, Chris, we before we started recording this, I played, uh, I played to Chris, Milk and Alcohol. It's mm. surely that's one of those songs that just everyone in Britain knows. And if you're if you're listening, you're thinking, hang on, who's Dr. Feelgood and who is this Wilco Johnson? 
just search out Dr. Feelgood on your, your music app, whatever you use, and just play Milk and Alcon. You'd be like, oh, yeah, of course, it's it's that it's that song. So, yeah, sad to hear that news. Chris, did you ever, by chance, happen to see Dr. Feelgood live? I didn't, know. No. I didn't. No, I mean, no. I I enjoyed the music, but um, was never massively into them. But, it, you know, you don't have to be a massive fan to know the influence and the, the impact that they've had on the, the UK and world music scene. So, yeah, sad yeah, news. I wish I'm sort of kicking myself. I wish I'd made more of an effort to see Dr. Feelgood live because there was a group of those bands, you know, from back then. And I've seen quite a few of them, you know, including the Stranglers. And, and I wish I'd I wish I'd seen Dr. Feelgood. But um, he leaves behind one hell of a creative output. So if you're unsure of who they are, oh, get on YouTube or whatever and get searching. You'll see some great live stuff and videos on there. So, mm. right, let's jump into it, Chris. Mm. Live musical highlights for yourself, please. Let, let's, let's just go straight into, you said you've been to a gig that has gone in straight into your top 10 gigs of all time. Yeah, so. I think so. You, I think so. You think so? Are you backing out? Are you chickening out with that now? No, no. I, th- I think. I mean, obviously, it's it, it's difficult um, to it's difficult to get into that top ten. You know, it's they're coveted coveted spots. Which but... hilariously, listener, if I if I now, I mean, if I was a any kind of journalist, I'd push Chris and say, "What is that top 10 Oh, we'd be <laughs> for hours. We'd be here yeah. for days. He doesn't know what his top 10 gigs are, nor do I. But that's the fun, isn't it? That's the fun. It's a, a theoretical top 10, but it's it's interesting. So come on, tell us about it. When I was working, I was booked to photograph this gig, and it was at the Stoller Hall, which is just next to Chet's Music School, just opposite Victoria Station in Manchester. Yeah, And it was the Soweto Gospel Choir. Oh. And I... I'd kind of heard of them, and I thought, oh, yeah, a lovely South African gospel choir, that'll that'll be good for the soul. Oh, my God, they were incredible. Just, yeah, dancing, and I don't know, it just took me completely by surprise how much I absolutely adored it. So if you got just have a look on, um, on YouTube and find Soweto Gospel Choir, because they're just joyful. And you know, by the end of it, I was I was wiping tears away from my, my face because it was it was so gorgeous. They did, and I know it's a bit of a hackneyed cover version to do. Um, ever since Jeff, Jeff Buckley did it, but they did a version of Hallelujah. Oh, amazing! And um, I thought, oh god, here we go, because everyone does it. Yeah. Um, but more, it was amazing. They did, and they did Amazing Grace as well, which. It was just stunning. And, you know, on paper, you look at the, the set list and um, think, God, it's a bit of a cliched set list, but they, they approached these these versions with such joy um, that it was impossible not to get swept along. And, yeah, I absolutely loved it. So, yeah, in, in the top ten. It's in the top ten. That is, that is incredible. It, it's hard to um, pinpoint why, and I've seen similar gospel choirs and it's the sound and an African voice brings different sounds. Now, as someone who grew up in choirs, 
I mean, you know, Mr. Welshman here, I've heard a lot of choirs and my sister still sings in choir. So uh, I, I have an ear for a choir, but they just sound so different. Their, their harmonies and parts just sound like nothing else. And the mm. actual tones and sounds they make, it's, it's just brilliant. And yes, you're not watching Triorchy Male Voice Choir for their choreography. <laughs> no. but, but you you watch the Soweto Gospel Choir and you're you're getting smiles, movement, and real joy in in voices along with the actual you know singing. I can imagine that's gone in into your top ten. Mm. Well, I've only just realised that they they featured on the Peter Gabriel song "Down to Earth," the one oh, really? for Wall E. Um, and nominated for uh, an Oscar for best original song, um, and oh yeah, they they were just knockout. So yeah, have a look for Soweto Gospel Choir. There's a couple of other ones just before we get to you. Let me just, let me just, just say before you finish, before you finish there, what I love about those instances is when it's unexpected. Mm. And, and what that, was the um, what was the one that Pete Pafidis was telling us about in in, in a, a fairly recent um, episode where he, he he was at Glastonbury and he went down to see was it the um, oh I'm going to kick myself now I'll I'll find out I'll I'll find which one it was but he he went down and couldn't believe more people weren't there yeah and absolutely adored it let me let me just have a quick search but um, it's, those, it's those moments the, the the unexpected um ones that you're just like oh my gosh that was incredible and you you often don't want it to end oh well. it's africa express yes okay Brilliant. that's the one so that's why it popped into my head and and he i think he was sideswiped by that one um and yeah, I can totally see. I know it's not the same. It's not, you know, it's not just because they're both from Africa. Um, no, no, it's the, it's, but it's, the, that, it, it's more about the feeling that you get where you find yeah. something that you weren't expecting and you go, mm. whoa, that's that's taking me completely. I had, it, I had it from Sigur Ross. All right. Who were a support act when I first saw them. And mm. I was just blown away and did, did not, I did not know them. Uh, I only knew of them. And I was just thinking that that was incredible. And then I could have gone home after that, but then I realised I would have missed Radiohead, so I didn't. <laughs> oh, that's a that's a decent lineup, isn't it? That's not bad. Eh? That's not bad. Not bad. Shall so, I just tell you about the other two? That yes, I, I, I want to I, I know who who else you've uh, you've been to, who else you've seen. Well, um, I went to see the Lemonheads, <gasps> and oh my gosh, of course. Yeah, so I've been a Lemonheads fan since um, It's a Shame About Ray came out and it was my album. I just played it constantly. It was quite easy to play over and over again because it's only about 15 minutes long anyway. Yes. Um, but I, I I absolutely loved that album, but I'd never got a chance to see them um, play it live or, you know, even play live. No, uh, no, I'd, I'd, seen, I'd seen Evan Dando. He did a gig in Glasgow in about 97, 98. And it was in a tiny venue, a great venue, actually, just on, on Socky Hall Street um, called Nice and Sleazy's. And it was um, downstairs in Nice and Sleazy's. So if you stood on your tip, well, maybe not you, but if you stood on your tiptoes, you could touch the ceiling. It was that 
kind of gig. Sorry, mate. <laughs> um, I'm but, all right with the cheap short jokes. It's okay. Yeah. Um, but honestly, the sweat was dripping off the ceiling, and it was. I mean, on paper, quite unpleasant. But it was great. He was. He was. Uh, he was just knockout. Really good. So when I saw that um, the Lemonheads were going to play, it's a shame about Ray in its entirety. I thought, yes, get in. And it's at the Ritz, which I love. Um, for all its faults, I do love the Ritz. Um, apart from you know the lighting in there now as a as a photographer, the lighting's awful. Oh, really? <clears throat> just consistently bad. Is that is that its faults? The Ritz. Part, partly, yes, I think. Um, you know, lots of red light and blue light, and either of those just you, you end up having to either edit in black and white, or yeah, it's just not it's not conducive to to great photos. It's just also, not cricket, it was, listener. It's not cricket. It's not cricket. Um, but also, it was it was really dark, and also um, he had long hair and was kind of looking down, so the hair was over his face. So I didn't get many photos that I was happy with. Um, but they played a lot of "It's a Shame About Ray." Um, a lot. But they had played a lot of it. They didn't play all of it. Um, That's yeah, the whole so point they, of it. Well, yeah. And the previous night, I think, or the the night before. The, so t- two nights previously, they played in Nottingham, and they played something like thirty six tunes, um, and played the the whole of the album. But I think this was, um, they 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 became victim to the the curfew. I don't know if they had a club night on that night because it was it was a Thursday night. I think it was a Thursday night, so maybe it was a student club night oh, that, that was right. happening. I, I I can't I can't hold this any longer. That this tour has been all over the, the press. Now, yeah. the night after, I believe it was the night after you saw them, one mm. of my friends in work, one of our cameramen, he'd gone to see them in Norwich. And he said it was one of the most awful gigs he's ever seen in his life. And like <clears> as he's <throat> seen, he, you know, he's a regular gig goer, massive Lemonheads fan. His wife is just besotted, just loves him. But he mm. said it was a mess, but specifically... Or Evan Dando was a mess because we know that he is still battling demons. And mm. and I saw that there were quite a few dates on the tour that people were just like, what is going on? And actually, my friend said that it was sad. And he's like, the gig just needed to stop. And someone well, just needed to take Dando off and, and help him. because. Well, I realised that the previous time that the Lemonheads had come, um that was it was the same story and i think they played gorilla um and it sounded like they were late coming on stage by about an hour and but anyway this this one to be fair to them he, he was he was great and um so allison's starting to happen which is one of my favorites on the album it was banging it was really good and Rick James' style was knockout as well. I know that's not from it's from the the, yeah. the album after that, but um, it, and he was it, it was and really Evan great. Was with it? He was yeah, kinda yeah. I mean, it was an odd one to begin with because he started it uh, with a solo spot, and it's the first time that, that uh, as a photographer, I've been told right, you've got the first eight songs, no flash. And I was like, what? <laughs> normally, it's, normally it's first three, but he played eight. Nobody knew when one song had stopped and the next one had. So we were looking across to the um, 
to the show set guys and they were like, well, I don't know. Um, so anyway, I, I, it didn't really make that much of a difference because the lighting states didn't change and I didn't get any better photos. And that, that, I think sounds the, a bit, that all sounds a bit sort of Bob Dylan. What? Yeah, it was it was just a bit chaotic. But then it was right. it was more towards the end. They played a lot of um, they played a lot of of it's a shame about Ray. They didn't play Mrs. Robinson, and I wasn't <laughs> that <laughs> I know biggest hit off the album. But I wasn't I wasn't that disappointed because I prefer their their stuff. So they they played bit part and they played turnpike down and they played you know some of the some of the biggies, um, but yeah, it just kind of fizzled out towards the end and it finished off with him singing. I can't even remember what it was. It was like something from the American Songbook, some some ballad, and then he wandered off and ev- and the lights stayed down. Everyone was just kind of looking around. And I saw at the back of the gig, Tony Walsh, uh, one of our previous guests on this this pod, I saw him because, you know, he's kind of about a foot Ten above foot everyone tall. else. Yeah, exactly. And always, he always stands at the back, um, polite fellow that he is. Um, and it, just kind of looking at, and just everyone was looking around. And then the, the roadies came on. They they were kind of gesturing to the, the audience going, ah, we don't know. And then, you know, people were asking for the set list and I, I, it would have been interesting to see what the bloody <laughs> yeah. set list was. Um, but yeah, and and it just stopped and then the lights went on. There was a few boos, but not that many boos. If it had been a really shocking gig up till then and it had been chaos and poor performances and lack of commitment or whatever, I think the crowd would have absolutely kicked off and would have been Chris, booing, it sounds like it but they didn't. Bit, it sounds like it was a bit of a mess. It was a bit of a mess, but what I'm saying is, in a, if in a it had been nice a, an appalling gig, the booze would have been ringing out. But it was, it wasn't that much. So, and I didn't actually feel that short changed by it. Okay. It was, it was a really odd one, though. It was and, a really odd one. And maybe, like with you know, we always joke about Dylan. Are you getting the good or the bad, Dylan? Um, yeah. Maybe that's the case with the Lemonheads because people. He's know the new that. Dylan. He's the new Dylan. Did you see good I, Evan or bad Evan? Yeah, I think they're, yeah. Well, I hope he's well. I hope yeah. he's well. And, you know, I'm glad yeah. I'm glad you got to see him. Uh, um, I was way, just going to... Listener on. and friend of the show, Guy Hodgkiss, he he went to see Dylan uh, yes. uh, last month and got absolutely on fire, Dylan. He got great Dylan. He got great yeah. Dylan. And I'm still yet to get great Dylan. Which is- you will have heard Guy, if you listened to our live episode with Jack Jones, you will have heard Guy oh, yes. talking to us from the crowd about good Dylan, bad Dylan. That's and so right. I'm really pleased because he was at a, a, a Dylan concert that we, we mentioned in that interview with Jack. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're really pleased pleased for Guy that he got good Dylan. He got good. He got, he got good, good Dylan. Dylan. Um, just before we move on to you, I'm just going to tell you about one other gig that I photographed for work, which was um, the amazing Manchester Collective, this um, uh, classical music, classical for whatever that means. Um, but they're doing really interesting stuff, um, 20th century music. Oh, yes, yes. Um, and they performed at RNCM this piece called Weather, which had... Um, video projections in the background and it was it was it was knockout it was really good but the reason i'm mentioning that is because you can watch it 
on their website. If you just go to uh, manchestercollective.co.uk forward slash weather, I really recommend checking that video out because it's brilliant. It's it's like unscrewing the top of your head, putting ice cold water in it, shuggling it around and then putting the top of your head back on. That's what it that's what it felt like. It was great. Well, no, I mean, I'll be honest, the way you described it, that sounds utterly horrific. <laughs> if you want to wake up musically, that's the way to do it, is to watch Weather um, by Michael Gordon, performed by Manchester Collective. They've just got um, NPO funding from uh, the Arts Council, so National Portfolio Organisation, which means that they're, they're, they're going to be funded for the next three years, which is fantastic oh, news. Brilliant. At a time when loads of amazing organisations are having their... Um, uh, funding cut, shout out to Oldham Coliseum, which is an absolute travesty. Okay, um, yeah. Anyway, don't get me started. Um, but Manchester yeah. Collective, great news about them. And it's the first time they've had funding of this sort. So it means that for the next three years, you can enjoy and honestly, you will love. Go and see them live. They're incredible. So anyway, that's me. Let's do it. What yeah. about you? You, you, well. go on. I'll get on to me in a second, but here's a random thought that's coming from your last few sentences. Hmm. Obviously, this we can be very Manchester-centric because that's just where Chris and I live, and that's where most of our music experiences are, you know, this Welshman and Scotsman. Um, but wherever you are, listener, please, please do what you can to get involved with your local venues. Um because in Manchester, for example, we have uh, a great place called the Night and Day Cafe, which is in danger of, of being closed, which is a great music venue. Please, please look out in your area, support them by going to gigs. But also, if you hear any kind of crap from your council saying oh, noise pollution, you know, essentially because of gentrification and just money, you do what you can to keep those venues open. I think that's so yeah. so important. I would also say um, if for any reason you're thinking about buying a property in the middle of town, a town which has a lot of its character from its energetic and vibrant nightlife, that's the reason you kind of want to live there. If for any reason you buy a property and then complain about the freaking noise, then you need to yeah, go that's... in the bin. Okay, yeah. that's that's it. And that, that's what's horrible. happened here. That is what's happened here. And and it's happened before with night and day as well. And it's uh, and it, the northern quarter of, of, of Manchester is a vibrant place. A lot of the roads have been closed and made pedestrian now yeah. so it, it's it's a really buzzing place we, we just need these small venues because we're just going to be bombarded by massive venues and as we all know ticket pricing is just a joke so yeah. you know yeah we need both and and i've had three gigs in the past uh month or so two of them at uh, a small venue the basement in yes and one of them at manchester arena and the two in yes were just as important and and vital as the one in the arena. So really, you know, get out there. So we we only have a few minutes left. So um, yeah, I have been I've been trying to get to more local venues and smaller artists. And 
I've noticed that a lot of these artists have just been releasing tickets for around the £10 mark. And that includes £7 and £15. And, and I've just bought tickets where I can. Um, uh, in fact, I've got one ticket for Gaz Whelan in Tilsley, which is very small and specific, week Thursday. I can't go because I'm doing a Christmas light switch on. So if anyone hey. wants a free ticket to see Gaz Whelan, let me know. Just get me on, on socials and you can have it. But I've been to see Apre, who I've mentioned before, and I went to see Joey Valence and Bray, who are essentially a, 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 a younger version of the Beastie Boys, both in Yes Basement, Tiny Room, and brilliant gigs. Brilliant gigs, great atmosphere. I I danced as though, you know, there was no tomorrow. What a surprise. It was just it was just so much fun. I just loved it. And I've got a couple coming up, you know, I mentioned Gaz. I'm going to go and see him elsewhere. And um, listener, it's very possible that our friend here, Mr. Christopher Payne, will be playing saxophone with Gaz Whelan. I'm not going to put him on the spot, but if it happens, just know I will be recording it. Okay, and we. Oh will. my God! You've just absolutely put me on the spot. You absolutely. I know. I said not put you on the spot because I just said if it happens, and if it happens, <laughs> brilliant. And if it doesn't happen, well, there's always a next time. You're a piece of work. You are. Quickly, it'll tell happen, me about. Happen. So, tell me about the arena. So the arena. Okay, and this leads me on to one of the things I want to close the podcast with. I. Uh, we were really lucky enough to be able to get two tickets to Kendrick Lamar at the arena. Me and George, my 14-year-old, who is obsessed. Now, listener, you will probably have gathered that my kids have been very fortunate, very lucky. They have literally grown up at Glastonbury Festival, going to Kendall Calling, going to music festivals, going to gigs. Uh, and by the way, Chris, my daughter, three times now in the past month, has messaged me and said, Dad, Dad, Dayglow are at the Ritz. Shall I get us two tickets for next March? And I've just gone, yes, yes, please. Just small bands, artists that I'm vaguely aware of, and she's getting the tickets. Obviously, I pay for my own ticket because she's got a part-time job. She's paying for a ticket and she's inviting me. And she just yes, yesterday man. phoned me and went, Dad, Inhaler, or Bono son, they've just announced they're playing, uh, where are they playing? the ritz i think next year should i get tickets and i tell you what i'm holding back tears going yes my kids are going to <laughs> anyway we go to the arena last week and george is shaking with excitement right and i will check with him on whether i can share the audio to a video i have right and it's during a song called family ties which is his absolute favorite right and I nearly jumped out of my skin. And if you listen around the 11 second mark, he loses his mind. He's shouting every lyric, which I can't understand. And the joy, I mean, it sounds like he's just being seriously aggressive. The joy in his face was just incredible. Now, I'm going to say this now, right? I've always, always loved rap, hip hop, grime and whatever you want to call it. Kendrick Lamar is one of the most important and creative musical geniuses of my lifetime. The guy is incredible. Now, from a live point of view, I experienced a 
not a first, but a best. I've been in a lot of audiences and heard a lot of crowds. Apart from when Guy Garvey is asking you all to sing along or, or, or Chris Martin or, or even on smaller gigs, they're, you know, sing along a chorus or a specific line. The arena at Kendrick Lamar last week was actually deafening, not because of just the, the applause and the reception, but the constant singing or rapping, whatever you want to say, of the lyrics, I have never heard anything like it it was like all twenty thousand people in there knew every word and they were belting it out every one of them all at the same time no holds barred or holding back i was there going this this is mental this was is it not quite annoying no because it was so intense because the music was loud the for the arena yeah. it was amazing the sound was unreal and the bass was ridiculous well i think I, it would have got on my nerves oh so. no i couldn't stop Chris. actually we've paid we've paid to hear kendrick lamar and actually could you sit down because i can't see i could still hear let me tell you i could still hear kendrick lamar all oh, right okay i'm Fair watching play. i'm watching mosh pits that rival machine head at donnington in 1995 i kid you not wow it was crazy and i was like oh my gosh i am experiencing something <laughs> absolutely outrageous and as you can hear i'm very excited about it it was just crazy crazy oh wicked what a wonderful experience nice one we've only got a couple of minutes left and this leads me to something chris Toko spoke about the soweto gospel choir i spoke about kendrick lamar all right kendrick lamar wasn't unusual for me the Soweto Gospel Choir perhaps wasn't unusual for Chris, but for each other, it might be unusual. So here's our thing. I am going to choose a gig that I'm going to take Chris to that I think he would not have chosen himself and that may be out of his seemingly comfort zone. And he is going to do the same for me. Now, listener, <laughs> I just put Chris on the spot here. OK, I wanted it to be a surprise because also I want you, the listener, to do it. I want you to look at your venues, look at your local venues, no matter what size they are. Look at artists coming and look at something, whether it's for yourself or you do it with your mate. Go to something that you wouldn't normally. And Chris and I are going to do that. And you're going to have to listen to our future episodes uh, to find out who it is, where we're going who we're seeing, and we are all going to report back. Chris and I are going to report back on here. And listener, you're going to report back to us on social media with your pictures, videos, and your stories. I love it. I love it. So I am really excited about that. And I hope that everyone everyone gives it a go and we all see a, a gig that we wouldn't normally choose. Oh, I'm going to get planning. This is, this is going to be fun. I Yeah, I, I surprised you with that one because um, mm. there's no no time restraint constraint so we can just get looking and um yeah 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 i've <laughs> i've already been looking and and you know i want it to be i want it to be a great night and hoping that yeah we'll have maybe one of those unexpected Ooh, what a night of music what a night of music mm. anyway tell us tell us about what's coming up right now chris 
Yeah, so this is the third of our compilation episodes. So we've got nine guests here. Why not 10, you ask? Why not 10? Um, because one of the 10 in uh, episodes um, 21 to uh, 30 was, an ep- was a compilation episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, what a guest. What a guest. So we've got... We have we have nine, uh, but the absolute crackers. This run of guests, it's great because um, we go through folk music, jazz, funk. Um, we've got a poet in there. We've got pop. We've got indie. Anyway, I'll tell you, we've got Eddie Reader, um, who oh bless it, that's my dog. Thank you, Scotty. We've got Eddie Reader who who sings us a song. Yes, um, which yes, is delightful. Then Ren Harview, oh yes, knockout. Manda Ren, um, we talk about um well, so we talk cool. about somebody she met at a festival, um, and it's <laughs> very funny. Um, the mighty Ralph Roll. Um, so we we chatted to him. It was one of our few in-person interviews, and what a diamond of a man. Incredible, um, incredible. Anna Doble. Radio producer and just all around good egg. Absolutely, um, she was up next. Howard Murray, uh, my father-in-law, talking about jazz. God rest his soul. He died not long after this episode was was recorded and broadcast. So um, yeah, uh, rest in peace, my mate. Um, Tony Walsh was another in person. We did it as part of uh, Tim Burgess's Vinyl Adventures in Manchester. We recorded that at the wonderful Deaf Institute. Um, again, that's a venue that you need to support. Definitely. Um, um, then we had Rodri Marsden, just uh, an absolute encyclopedic knowledge of music, uh, keyboardist in Scritti Politti, and yeah, and the the, the king of Christmas. <laughs> he well, really is. He's the best thing about Christmas Eve. Yeah. Sorry, my dog's going mad. I think I think we might have the postie at the door. <laughs> and and lastly, but certainly not leastly, we have uh, James Walsh, singer with uh, Star Sailor and just the most gentle soul. And yeah, he's he's great. Absolutely. So we've got all of those coming up. We've we've um, picked it's some a of our highlights. Of guests, a plethora, a cornucopia. Oh. Um, so we've 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 chosen. Well, I've chosen um, some of my favourite bits from those nine. Uh, episodes and they're coming up right now. My first live performances was when I was eight in knitting class, Mrs. McDonald's knitting class. And every week we'd have an after-school knitting class and we'd make little purses. And there was one boy, Gerard, he, he was in there and the rest of us were all women. And the girls were very much the popular girls. They were all in the knitting class. And I was in it basically because I kind of wanted to be part of their team, but at the same time, I knew I couldn't be part of their team. I wasn't uh, pretty enough or... I was too skinny. My socks fell down all the time. I had egg on my tie. I wasn't very, I didn't brush my teeth right. I was just, I was a bit of a mess. I thought I was a bit of a mess. And I couldn't see anything. My my eyesight had deteriorated and I didn't tell anybody for about three years. So I was just banging into lampposts and walls. And um, I, 
I just uh, Miss McDonald had her favourites, and she had the big bouffant hairdo, the big piled <laughs> high black hair, and um, to to uh, you know to ease her boredom, she would ask the girls to do a turn, and one of them, Jacqueline, would get up and she would do a country dance, <clears throat> another one would get up and and do a magic trick, or and then Belinda, who was the most beautiful of all and the princess of the classroom eyelashes that stopped her sleeping because they couldn't close she couldn't close her eyes just the most beautiful <laughs> girl had all the great gear she's only eight or nine and um i'm immediately all the boys loved her and all the girls wanted to be her and i i just wasn't in that group and i put my hand up i got my dad i realized that i could do this thing that i used to do while cleaning my mom's house or looking after my six siblings and other people's babies in the street. I used to sing them to them and lullaby them. And I sung in the tenement close, which is the best reverb ever. I've been looking for it ever since in every studio I ever go to. I want tenement close reverb. And, um, yeah. and I um and I said to Miss McDonald, I said to my dad first, when he came home from work, he was covered in black oil and I said, Daddy, would you write me out the words to love me tender? Great Elvis fans, my mum and dad. So he said, would you want them for him? And I said, I, I just want to know them. And I kept it secret. And, and he wrote out, and there's bloody six verses to that song. Love me true, love me long, love me always, whatever it is. Millions of verses. <laughs> and, I had, and I learned and learned and learned them. And then that Thursday at the knitting class, Mrs. McDonald said, who wants to sing a song? And I was like, <laughs> hand up. And, and of course, everybody was shocked. They were like, you? What? And of course, I got up and I shut my eyes and put my hands behind my head. I'll never forget the feeling. It's the same me that's inside me. So I, I had my hands at my, and my eyes were shut and my, eyes, my tears were streaming down my face. But I was determined and because I knew I had this thing that I could do. It was like Kez, you know, and I started singing. Love me tender, love me long, take me to your heart, for it's there that I belong and will never part. Love me tender, love me true, all my dreams fulfilled. For my darling, I love you and I always will and then i opened my eyes and they were all like yes, <laughs> yes. All oh, yeah. oh, and i, I just it. i just ended up belinda then asked me back to her house do you want to come and play with my barbie dolls would you like to come to mine for that when i was suddenly part of and it was currency then for me i just realized that i, I kind of knew it I, I don't know maybe i think singers do when they're very young they kind of know that they're just apart from everybody in a way. They're not chasing boyfriends or clothes or toys. <laughs> they just want to be the singer. Can I just ask you about that performance then? Because you, you, I would have thought if that was your first performance, that you would have had, you know, not nerves, but kind of you would. The action of putting your hands behind your head is quite a, a an open action, and you're kind of you're leaving yourself open there, and that seems like a really bold thing to do as an eight year old. Um, can you remember what the, the the decision, why you made that decision? Because um, I would have I would have been crossing my arms as protection, you know. 
I my my logic I think at the time was I lean against the blackboard and then if I could feel the blackboard with my hands I won't fall over I'll just right. I'll be steady and that was a way I think of just keeping myself steady there was definitely a, a reassurance in it like I'm only mm. relaxed I'm just leaning here nonchalantly yeah I'm gonna send this to these people that don't really believe in me and and probably don't like me and I I needed to I mean, I'm certainly uh, sure that that when a singer is born or when a musician is born, I think more than anything, because I don't think it's just singers that have it. An artist, anybody that's got a sort of drive to see beauty in something. And I saw it in songs. I saw beauty in songs when other people didn't see beauty in songs. You know what I mean? It could be yeah. anything. It could be Run Rabbit Run, Flanagan and Alan coming through a radio or something. I'd be like... <gasps> mesmerized whereas other people are going get a bloody dishes done you know <laughs> me opening up for the cortinas at the Apollo <laughs> was, was not a good idea It's yeah. It's not. It's not a, the most obvious fit, is it? No. No. It wasn't. No. I, it was a sea of men and young boys that did not want to see a young girl on the stage. It, it was just like I'd like you know pierced the male energy in the room, and they were all furious. <laughs> you know, they're <laughs> gonna have to watch the language or something. So yeah. So I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is a song about periods. <laughs> oh, let me just say this now. I love you. And that is the best thing ever. Best thing ever. Thank More than you. anyone, I'm all right with a bit of testosterone and you see a lad's band, whatever. That's great. Love it. But that is brilliant. And um, oh. I don't think I, I've only ever sort of referred to this on the podcast. The Cortinas themselves, I am sure, are lovely people, but they are. Oh, yeah, they were lovely. Were they? Oh, typical. They were. <laughs> but they are, they are one of the bands musically that whew, have just gone over my head over the years. Yeah. Um, Shall I cancel Liam for next week then, Alex? Yeah, cancel. No, he's always seemed lovely. But, and I've tried, but I just, uh, I just don't get it. But there is no denying when they play live, and I've, I've seen them twice, you know, once at Glastonbury my, with my kids, and and the crowd went absolutely batshit. It was yeah amazing. They absolutely yeah. have total control over their own crowds. Brilliant, but yeah. the thought of you supporting that is wondrous to me. I'm gonna I'm gonna be <laughs> thinking about that this evening. That's absolutely brilliant. Brilliant. Well, I'm just wondering if you if you can think of bands that were kind of memorable that followed you or you were before. Oh, um, we played Tea in the Park one year and we were just after Dog Star, Keanu Reeves' band. Oh, God. That's quite an... No! <laughs> right for you he listeners, Chris had he written down Dog Star and he just lit, he, he'd not shown us. And he just when... revealed it. <laughs> but, but I, I was there. I was there. I saw that. You were oh, there? You were... Yeah, I was there. The park. Yeah. That's when I got my, my famous photo of me with Keanu Reeves. That's when I show to people to this day. It's so cool. <laughs> I'm quite obsessed with getting my photo with famous people. 
<laughs> that I've got I've got something that's vaguely related to that Mandarin. Okay. <laughs> You've got Keanu Reeves and I've got his Bill and Ted partner. So please tell me you love Ooh. the Bill and Ted films. I you know I don't even know them that well, which is quite bad. What? You took the Bill and Ted films? Yeah. Oh, come I, on. I have seen them, but I'm not I'm not as crazy. No. I'm so sorry. it was it was Keanu Reeves <laughs> and Alex Winter. And so because I've got the S on the end of my name, Alex Winters, on, he would he would sort of send me messages that he would receive from mums and dads of CBeebies, like CBeebies mums and dads. Aww. And he's in America and he's like, what are these messages? Who is this? Who's this fella? And so he'd send these messages to me saying, I think these are for you. And so we got to know each <laughs> other. And we actually, we met in Manchester two years ago uh, when uh, a Lost oh, Boys movie, they got... <laughs> That yeah, the Lost Boys film, the whole cast reunited, and let me just say, for a cult film, they have only ever that cast gotten together or reunited once, and that was two years ago in Manchester, England. How bizarre is that? Why did no one think to get them all together, including what's his face, Mister Saxophonist, who I have since you know found out played live with Tina Turner and and things for years. I just thought he was a perhaps an actor dressed in leather just for that film. But anyway, I digress. So I've got I've got a picture with Alex Twinter and you've got a picture with cool. Keanu Reeves. Well, I can, can, can you remember much about Dogstar? Because I I don't think they were that bad, but I feel I felt like the crowd were they were they not I can't yeah, remember. They were not good. I don't remember them either. I saw them the same summer in Glastonbury. Yeah, I just remember the crowd were not the most forgiving. I remember basically everyone calling them dog shit. And it <laughs> wasn't, I don't think that was fair. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Um, but it's a tough crowd, tea in the park, though, isn't it? Tea in the, tea in the park is, yeah. I mean, if they love you, they will absolutely adore you. But yeah. Mm, yeah. But once again, he was another really nice guy, though. Honestly, I, I can't think of yeah. any other Hollywood star I would rather meet than Keanu Reeves. I, mm -hmm. I get the impression he's an absolute sweetheart and a talented yeah. musician and all that. I just think that the crowd, bec only because he was a, a, a Hollywood star, gave him a rough, a, a rough time. But yeah. I can't remember what the band was like. So, did you have time to chat to him then? No, it was a, apart from getting my photo, nah, not really, because we were we were going on straight after them. I didn't really get a lot of time, but um, I think he got a different toilet, which I was really envious of. They got a nice, there was a nice cubicle all made up, like it looked what, just for dog star. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. The Manic yeah. Street Preachers got absolutely hammered for that one year, didn't they? By really? Bragg. <laughs> yeah, by Billy Bragg. <laughs> Which is funny. And he, yeah, and he, he just dug a hole and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Keeping it real, Billy. <laughs> so let's let's get into this quick fire round oh yeah that I forgot the about longest, that. that's the longest segue into a quick fire round ever the yeah, irony is not I lost to ask. i had to ask okay so then here we go just some quick answers on these ones okay. and we always say this who is your favorite artist or musician to see live mm, blur oh blur their last gig i saw was one of the best i've ever seen so yeah I wish they would get back together because um, I've never I've never seen them live. What? No, 
never seen them live. I um I don't know if I drank too much of the uh, no, I drank too much of the Oasis Kool-Aid um in ninety-four to ninety-seven or ninety-six and then missed the boat with Blur. And now I would probably rather go and see Blur. Oh my gosh, those tours I've, yeah were incredible. I've seen Damon a, a few times, but um <sighs> Um, what's your favourite venue? Ooh, um, I've always been a big fan of King Tut's Wawa Hut in Glasgow. Um, I suppose it's because you see all the new exciting stuff, like when Elastica came, and that's probably one of my first ever really good gigs there. Um, and then when you're small, there's a seated bit that you can get, a, you can stand on top of and see, you can see better. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I'm a big fan of King Tut's. I've always had a lot of respect for, for Biss and... Yeah, so I don't know what it's like at the moment for them, but hopefully it'll all get back up and running again. So, sorry, can I just take you back there? Did you say at that venue, if you're short, what 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 do you? Because because this is a problem that I face. That you what? There's a place for you to stand on. Or yeah, you can if get you're small, you can assess these things out. There's a just a, a row of like a, a row or a bench. But just in front of the stage. But if you get in early enough, everyone kind of runs to get to these seats because you know that you can stand on them when the band comes on. Yeah, <laughs> so. brilliant. I I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but we, uh, my old band played played King Touch once, and oh, I remember. Cool. Yeah, and it, it, we supported Pram. I used to love Pram on two yeah. year. Yeah, we supported Pram, and um, but I remember that. They had this thing where uh, on the tills, if you bought a pint or, you know, bought a drink, they asked you what band you were coming to see and they would put that in. And then at the end of the night, you would get a tiny percentage of the bar takings. Yeah, I, I, I certainly we, we got that. familiar, actually. Yeah, and I've, I've never heard of it anywhere else, but I, I just love, I love King Tuts for that. But you're right, they had, they, they just had every but I, I I was looking through my old Glasgow uni because I moved to to Glasgow in '94 to go to university, and in night I think it was ninety uh, early '95 I saw Marion headline at um, at King Tut's, but the support was incredible. So they were supported by Pure Essence wow. and and Catatonia. Then the ticket the ticket I think was four quid, <laughs> but to see those three bands in that tiny place. It, it was uh, that's probably what made me love King Tut's was was a combination of the those two things. I, I oh. adore the place, love it. We are going to do our quick fire round. Yes. Who's your favourite drummer? I don't have one. I have a few. But uh, sitting way at the top of the, the list is Steve Gatt. Yeah. Yeah, he's a uh, big influence on approach, style, uh, Harvey Mason, Bernard Purdy. I would have to say, you know, there's, there's in the top five, those are the top three. Yeah. You know, Purdy just had a whole thing, an approach that was so just beautiful. You know, as well as Harvey Mason just kind of created his own lane, and Steve Gass, so when you picked up a record back then, before you even knew to read, you knew who was playing because yeah. of their styles. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what was your favorite work of, of Steve Gadd? I know he did lots of 50 Simon Ways to Leave Your Lover. 
Yeah, I had the yeah. pleasure of playing that with Paul Simon. And Did you? Yeah. It was the highlight of my life. Oh, my To be able goodness. to play that song. Yeah. Yeah. Steve is a nice guy, by the way. Yeah. Did you did you try to add a little bit of yourself oh, to that, or oh, were you just absolutely. trying to go? It's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to play 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover like the record, yeah, yeah. like Steve Gadd, because it, 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 it deserves that. Yeah. It doesn't deserve... What I try to tell most musicians when I'm teaching is you're serving something so much higher than yourself. And once you get that, you'll work forever. When you realize that you're serving the music, yeah, yeah. you know, there will be points where you have to add some of your own salt and pepper and Tabasco sauce, but you're serving <laughs> a song that needs its attention on every level. Mm. And that's just how I think. It's, it has nothing to do with me. I love that. I lo I, I've heard you talk about that before, and I, I love that, um, that way, the, the way that you treat the song as a kind of holy relic in terms of, you know, the, the respect that you, you, you give it. That's great. I love that. Yeah, well, it's, it's true. And that's how I, you know, it's, when I got the gig with, with Niall, my goal was to uh, give Tony Thompson all of the, re the respect due to whatever song that he played. And, and you know, because I came behind Omar Hakim on this gig, yeah. which is, you know, yeah. those, those are like, those are titanic shoes to fill, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. So, but my thing was, I'm going to give it more of a Tony sound as opposed to a Ralph or an Omar sound. Yeah. Omar led the way in showing me different um, ins and outs that I still use to this day. Yeah. But as far as how I approach the chic sound, I'm, go I'm back to what Tony did. One of my favourite um, live experiences was seeing, um, I saw Herbie Hancock with Wayne Shorter in, in Glasgow and the rhythm, the rhythm section was Stanley Clark and Omar Hakim. As, I mean, that's a super group right there. But it was the duels that they did, so you had Stanley Clark doing this slap bass and then it was, sound, I mean, it was, it was, he was playing percussion basically. And then it was just a duel, and then it was together, and then it. So they were they were having a battle basically, but it's one of the most thrilling things that I've I've heard live. Yeah. It's incredible. Can you remember a time? I'm sure you've probably had lots of these. When you're performing live, you're, you're you're behind that kit, you're playing, you're at a gig, concert, and you just thought, this is it. It just doesn't get better than this. Quite a few times. Uh, musicians will tell you that the, the experience is so overwhelming that it brings you to tears on stage. It's happened to me quite a few times where you, you look, you just, <clears throat> you look around and you go, I can't believe this is happening right now. Really. You just, you, you get overwhelmed and it's, it just kind of shows uh, the personal dedication to the moment, to the music, to the hours of practice, that you're, I'm, I'm actually here doing this. You know? Do you, do you yeah. feel that, do you feel that coming from the fans as well? Absolutely. There's a point where you lose the, the space between uh, band and stage. Really? It's that energy, and, and you'll hear this, it's this revolving energy that happens between the audience and the band on stage and it, it, it just starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger 
and more connected and more connected. You know, with with Sheik, the connection actually becomes connected when we bring yeah. people from the audience onto the stage, and the 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 connection is now complete. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's really a great thing, but you feel that energy. Like when I'm doing Let's Dance, I'm there's a performer that you probably know in hip hop called Dougie Fresh. Oh yeah. Dougie Fresh is my boy. I've known Dougie for years. We've worked together for a long time. Yes. But Dougie is the ultimate crowd pleaser. He can I mean, if you go to a Dougie Fresh show, guaranteed everybody's going to be going crazy because Dougie just knows how to be an MC, be a call and response. So when I'm doing less dance, I'm basically just doing what Dougie I've watched him so many times at the Apollo and doing shows. The minute Dougie walks on stage, he has this uh, this air of of comfort, not ego, but yeah. just like, all right, y'all, I'm you and you're me, and this is about to go down. So everybody say yeah, and it's like a raw, yeah. you know. So he does these things, and I just use it in in less dance, you know, the same kind of style that he does. It's just being comfortable to connect the audience and make them feel like they're all part of the show. And it's it's uh, it's a it's a New York MC thing, I believe. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, that I've always been fascinated by that relationship because as as a as a non musician, but someone who's gone to live gigs, I, I've said on this podcast time and time again, for me it's a spiritual experience, and I'm glad that you feel that because ju just last night, so I've been harping on about uh, uh, an English lad called Sam Fender. Mm. And he's very much like Bruce Springsteen influenced. He's only in his mid-twenties. And I took my 15-year-old daughter to see him last night. And we're both obsessed. Now, this poor lad had a, an, his first album go to number one a year before lockdown. He then had vocal problems, so had to cancel all his, his gigs. Then had the pandemic. In the meantime, he's still... Insta he's gone huge. Number one singles, albums... He's about to release his second album, and he's just starting to play gigs again with his band. And so he's gone from playing, you know, your, your back garden, shed, or garage, to huge venues. And last night in town here in Manchester, uh, my daughter and I saw him, and I'll be honest, the crowd was incredible. It was like we'd all just been released after 18 months of a pandemic. From prison. Exactly, right. from prison. And ev I've never seen it. There was, for every... 3,000 people I could see in front of me stood up. There was 3,000 on their shoulders. I mean, it was it was crazy. I was like, wow, these young kids are getting stronger, aren't they? And the last song, <laughs> the last song, he always finishes with a song called Hypersonic Missiles, which was what sort of put him into the stratosphere. And at the end, it, it was so crazy. And you could see the band just losing their minds. The crowd was losing their minds. And you saw him break down and he had to give a quick wave and he, he 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 just got off the stage crying. I'm in tears. I'm looking at my 15-year-old daughter who's just shouted out every, oh, I feel emotional thinking about it now. And it's just, I just love, it's like a, it's like a drug. It's probably better than any drug you could ever take. And I'm glad that you feel that as well, yeah. especially as a drummer up at the back there behind a load of, you know, a load of kids. So you, you feel that as well. <laughs> All the time. Um, sometimes a lot more than others, but, um, when I'm doing my masterclasses and sees my emotion, 
teaching these kids and watching them absorb your energy, it's an amazing thing. Um, the, the COVID penitentiary is real. Uh, and, and getting released <laughs> not as a yeah. is, is, for all of us, has been the most amazing thing. And when we came back out the first night this, uh, of our show, we were doing um, We Are Family, and I just started bawling, crying yeah, uncontrollably. And I was trying to hide, you know, so I wouldn't distract people. But I, I lost total control because of the fact that people, you can see them, the people just like, I'm so glad to be out of my house, listening to a lot, being able to touch someone next to you, you know, that you don't know, just bumping into them, you know, is, was a great thing. And then to know that I'm here with everybody, it was just, I was done. You were there with your entire WhatsApp group. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And it was a, it was a, it was a wonderful thing in in a lighting guy who is so amazing. I think he saw it because there's a camera right in front of me and I think he saw me crying and all of a sudden the light slowly started going up and I'm like, "You." <laughs> like cuz I can't I'm, I got two sticks in my head. So I can't wipe my eyes from, you know, crying, but it, it was the the just the overall emotion of pleasing the people and seeing them enjoy it and being on stage with these amazing people and the folks backstage and it was just like, wow. 18 months just disappeared like that. Yeah. Just like that. It was it was like 18 months just gone. But that's that's the power oh, of of uh, the arts. And I'm talking about all the arts. Yeah. You know, not just yeah. You know, people who play instruments. I'm talking about painters and poets and dancers and, you know, we're all trying to connect. All of us. Podcasters. Podcasters, really. <laughs> really. <laughs> With your computer instruments and no. Um, <laughs> well, this is our first um, in-person interview that we've, we've had wow. since, since the, the pandemic. Hoping over Zoom. But... It's so crazy that... Here's my takeaway. I don't know about you guys, but COVID has basically proven everything that I've been trying to tell people through my classes, through my just overall energy, my entrepreneurial side, is that if you don't get it now that we're all connected, if you don't get it now, you'll never, ever get it. ask you then Anna what was your first gig this is where all the cool references take a nosedive I'm afraid so nothing about that it's all it's all good it's all good despite the wise counsel of my parents and their good taste my first actual gig that I chose to go to that I you know asked to get tickets for this is what we want yeah yeah here we go was was Jason Donovan at the Harrogate International Centre. So it's wow. not even a cool venue. It's like a, a conference centre where they do, you know, kind of, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but like, I don't know, knitting conventions and stuff. Not Nothing wrong with knitting, but like, it's not normally a place of pop music. Or maybe now, or maybe has been since. But so yeah, I, I saw, I was about, I think it, I'm trying to work out. I was thinking it must have been 91 or 92. I was Brilliant. 12-ish. 
and my sister came with me and my little sister who was I think seven or eight um and it was you know to be fair Jason put on a cracking show well I think he probably <laughs> felt like he needed I think he probably felt like he needed to because his his um, star was on the wane at that point wasn't it it's true I mean, he was he was mm. It was a downward tra- trajectory at that point. Kylie had already become Kylie on yeah. her own, hadn't she? And Jason had become Jason Donovan. Yeah. And and if I, I'm sure I'm sure people listening and and you you have watched some of the Top of the Pops reruns on on BBC Four lately. Oh yes. So they're they're in. I think at the end of 1991, Brian Adams is still number one right now. For the tenth um, year. But but when you see the Jason Donovan tracks pop up. Even I, and I was clearly a fan in that era, was like, ooh, don't really remember this one. <laughs> because that it was Joseph? that kind of four, it was actually, yeah, it was the Any Dream Will Do, but just before that kind of maybe spring of 91 summer, you know that feeling when you can tell that Pete Waterman is really rinsing like the fourth and fifth singles out of the album. That's where we've been in 1991. And the tapes were all neon. Do you remember this? The Stock yeah. and Waterman tapes were... No, I like don't. Bright pink, bright orange, bright lime green. That's um, brilliant. Which is kind of ravey, really, but it was very much. A yeah, but for kids, it looked like you could yeah. lick lick them. <laughs> they were like. Were you licking your cassettes? Christopher Payne, ladies and gentlemen, Christopher Payne. Cassette licker. No, they they, they looked like <laughs> they looked like lollipops. They looked like you could you could lick them. Both. Maybe if you lick the two holes at the same time, you could record something on the B side. <laughs> yeah. <that? laughs> Yeah. Do you still have, by any chance, the ticket stub for that concert? I was. I, you asked me this, and I was looking in my. I do have loads of tickets in a shoebox, but they sort of start when I started going to gigs as mid-teen. So, if if t- if those ticket stubs exist, they're in a shoebox in my parents' loft with a load of old smash hits. Okay. Let's get on to the important thing. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen. She's got a shoebox full of ticket stubs. This is what we're here for. If my mum threw them away, um, then, you know, it's possible. But I do think that in our loft at home, in in North Yorkshire, there are some, like, dark recesses that she hasn't managed to reach where shoeboxes of tat collected by my sisters and I in the 80s may still be preserved in a kind of cocoon-like state. And I'm hoping to find them one day. You might want to check that, Anna, because I think your mum's burnt them. Yeah. <laughs> so, Anna, we have we have uh, Jason, which is which is marvelous. Jason Donovan. What would you class as? What was then your first cool concert that mm-hmm. you felt like you'd found your taste in music? And that's not that's not denying because um, Chris and I are both dead against guilty pleasure. You know, there is no guilty. Yeah, pleasure. I agree. I love pop music. And, yeah, it's all good. So Jason was about 12 when I saw that gig. So we're sort of fast forwarding probably four years to the point where I'm actually able to have my own money to buy tickets and go to a gig on my own. Because with Jason, my parents were waiting outside and all that. So yeah, it would have been probably Blur at Sheffield Arena in 95. Oh, get off. Get That can't be that. Well... It probably is. Don't in the... come in here throwing round. Yes, my first gig happened to be <laughs> Arena Blur. That is far yeah, well, too cool. Saying I'd seen them in some cool little back of a pub would actually be cool. But the point is, I didn't yeah. really see them until they were massive. So because I was sixteen, and and off we went on a coach trip over to Sheffield, and um, it was at, it was the 
would it have been the Great Escape tour? Yeah, by this point. I was just going to say, was that amazing. did you say ninety six? Yeah. I think ninety five. The first time I saw them live. Yeah, it was Great Escape because I I was I moved into my first ever flat and that and that cassette was the soundtrack to us moving in. Oh, of course, it's what's the story, Morning Glory, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it, it was, that, a, it was around the battle. Three. Yeah. Yeah. That tour. Wasn't that the tour where they had, can you remember the gig? Burgers. Burgers, that's what I was just going to say. Yeah, they had giant burgers on the top. They did. Because I saw that gig in Cardiff, that tour. That, wow, what a you lucky thing. That is a brilliant first gig. Tell me what you remember about it and how you felt and, you know, the whole experience. It was the excitement of having to sort of go on a coach trip as well. So we went across Yorkshire and arrived and got in there and bought the t-shirt, did all those things. And <laughs> it's the t-shirt that I later wore to Oasis at Nebworth, by the way. I wore a blur t-shirt to Nebworth. Get in. Nice one. Chris um, and I are like that. We're both Oasis and blur. I think, yeah, it was my way of sort of, I mean, the lady doth protest too much by going to Nebworth, but wearing a blur t-shirt. But anyway, we can come back to that. Because I was very much trying to be like, on the blur side of the divide, but I also didn't want to miss out on a massive moment in culture. And I'm pretty sure that was the right decision. But blur yes. at Sheffield Arena, I remember, I just remember the sound of, you know, how you hear about Beatlemania and what it sounds like to hear a, a wall of screaming. So like, we got in and I had a, I was kind of to the left of the stage, higher up, looking down on the mosh pit, sorry, dad. And <laughs> there, there, and it was just seeing, and I've probably not been in an audience that big before and um, just yeah the sound of screaming that kind of did drown out half of the first song which I think was stereotypes I think they came on stereotypes yes um, yeah it was yeah I loved it I absolutely loved it I, you know what I found recently in terms of little relics of, of, of fandom that may or may not be in the loft um I found a review that I'd written for myself so I got back had the program t-shirt and I typed up on my parents' like word processor a review that I was. I said to my mom, "Why did I write that? Was it was it for the school magazine or?" I said, "No, just for yourself." So I wrote oh myself my a review, and I, ha I have it, and it's quite cute. It's not bad actually. It's not. It's yeah. you know, it's the work you, of a. Do you still have it? Did you say? Yeah, no, absolutely got it. Yeah, yeah. Would you, Would you mind sharing it with the listeners? Like, would Would you send a picture to us so that people could read it? Absolutely, yeah, it? yeah, yes, yeah. I think I think it's just over there. Shall I see if I've got it? Oh, we'd love to hear it. So let me just see if I've still got it in this room. Oh, I think she's got it. Okay. I think you've got it. So what I have here are my two, which I definitely rescued from the loft. Um, is the Blur program. <gasps> wow. And What's then the, that? the Nebworth, that's Nebworth. That's oh, you bought Nebworth. the Nebworth one. So I've got those two together. So in here, unless it's moved, but I don't think it has. Yeah, it's so, I mean, look, it's a real, there's some real evidence of being a massive nerd here. Right now, you are the most Gig Stories guest ever. <laughs> you, you are, you, you, along with Sophie Williams, yeah. who is a friend of mine, and she's, uh, she's 21 now, I think. And she's the new music editor at the enemy. Lucky person. That's the dream gig. Oh yeah, she and her her story. And for listeners, if you've not heard that, get back and listen because mm. she's absolutely fabulous. You two should be leading Chris and I in the Gig Stories podcast because you are absolutely <laughs> up there as as geeks with us. So we welcome you. Well, I have I have my spreadsheet. Bear, bear that in mind. Oh yeah, he has a spreadsheet, Anna. <laughs> I've got a spreadsheet. I oh, went gigs you've been to. Yeah. I, I went through all of all of my tickets. 
XL, yeah. All I of my tickets. It. All of my tickets. Yeah. And so I've got the, the names of the band or artist, the date, the city, <laughs> the venue. But now I can look up things by venue and see who I saw there and did it there. And um and it, it was and that was a lockdown thing. So yeah, alongside the um eld, elderflower champagne and the <laughs> banana bread, there was a spreadsheet for all my gigs. Listen to you, how pleased he is. So, that I don't even have to go by the artist. I can yeah. go, but I can search gigs by the venue. Yeah. Many of you listening will have to go by the artist, not me. <laughs> I can go by venue. I can even go by month. <laughs> While you sip elderflower champagne. Yes, with my, with my pinky hit <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I can go by month. I wish I could get the relevant data to do such a thing, but I just can't. I just don't think I could. You've it's got true. it in a shoebox. Look at this, right? This is these are these are the the artifacts, which I'm happy to send you pictures of. But this is how nerdy I was, but also how much this gig meant to me. So the coach t- like invoice thing, the coach like how much it cost us fifty one quid, all in for the trip plus two tickets. That's so expensive. Oh, it is a price, isn't it? But I think it was the travel as well. Yeah. All the little things that you know, the merch stall items t-shirts yeah. and things on a, on, a, on a sort of glossy bit of paper oh, i i am the loving guardian, this the guardians like my mum and dad would have read the paper and i would have nicked this so it's damon so it's the review of the gig from monday the 27th of november 1995 he is he is lush he is and he is a, he's a beautiful boy is damon chris there that other fellow on this zoom he's photographed damon <sighs> Is he easy to work with or is he a diva? No, Chris got thrown out because he kept licking his face. No, I, I tell you, I, I can't remember if I've, I've mentioned, I, I think I have mentioned this, um, but it was at Six Music Festival when it was in Manchester. Well, Salford, it was um, Victoria Warehouse. And I got, um, and he was he was there and he was, he was performing. But then um, in the morning, the Saturday morning, he was being interviewed by Stuart McConey and uh, Marianne Hobbs. And the three photographers got br- brought in. And I was the third of the three. The other two were enemy um, photographers. And the second of the first two accidentally used a flash and pretty much blinded him. And he okay. stood up and started to walk away and I had to grab his arm and say, no, come, come back. And his... his <laughs> His, his, so he sat down, his person said, you've got two two clicks. I think it was two clicks or three clicks, I can't remember. I, I took five, I did five clicks. But three of them were him looking in a completely different direction. He wouldn't, he wouldn't look at Chris. He wouldn't look at me. But I, get, I did get one. I think he would have been lovely had he not just had a flash in the face. Do you have a favourite venue? Do you have a favourite venue that you've played at over the years? And it can be anywhere. I mean, you've told us you've travelled all over. This, the uh, Crescent City Brewery, which is a big restaurant in, in New Orleans. So you've actually played in New Orleans? Yes. Yeah. Uh, do you play there yeah. sort of a lot? I'll uh, tell you what's behind that. Uh, come on. I've taken the instruments over. I didn't get, it wasn't a paid gig, but I've, I've taken the instruments over with the hope of getting a blow. And we found a band, small band playing in this very big restaurant. And I went in, and I, got, I had no instruments with me, they were in the hotel. I said, I'm a sax player from Manchester, any chance of coming out and a blow? Yeah, go and get it. I said, no, he said, I'll bring it in tomorrow. Yeah, we're here tomorrow night. I'll bring it in tomorrow night. So I did. 
So go in and played. Uh, you know what it means to Miss New Orleans, which is real super tune, and and one or two t t very traditional tunes. And then I started putting me sax away. He said, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, when you get sisters in, I know it's like you can't get rid of them because they won't go away. Because we, you know, our own bands have sisters in it. Mm. Oh, they won't." So I said, "I'm not good." Oh no, he said, he put the sax row back together for me. He said, hey, come on, and I played the rest of the night. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't want to impose. Yeah, exactly. As yeah. you knew yeah. other people had imposed on, yeah. on your band, yeah. right? And you'd say, right, some Fred Smith comes and plays. And say, right, thank you very much, Fred. And you think you'd take your bow and go, but no, <laughs> carry on playing. Yeah. <laughs> Clear off. So did you get that quite a lot when you were playing other musicians come up and saying can I can not I so play? much now but yes definitely yeah, yeah. and how did you deal with that I mean did you, you just ever have, have to take Paul look you didn't know what you were going to get and so have, did, you, <laughs> did you ever turn down people that you wished afterwards that you well you just let them play one tune yeah no but did you ever say no you can't and then oh, find no, out no, that, no. oh we should let him play no, oh well there was one case I was telling you about the the one we were playing at the uh, Tommy Ducks in Manchester. Oh, and the lady came up and said, I've got a brother in America, or a cousin, some relative in America. She has a post office in Morgan. And he's coming over. Could he come and play with your band? So I didn't know anything about this. I was told this later. It turned out that the band leader had thought, we don't, we don't know the hell it's going to be. No. She said, he said, I'm sorry, no, we don't. We don't have citizens. We don't. Don't, it's not custom for us. Turned out to be the guitarist was Stan Getz. Charlie Bird. Charlie Bird. Yeah. This is Charlie Bird, spelled B Y R D. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie Bird is. And he's just. I thought. I don't think he's with us now. But he was a brilliant player. Oh, wow, this is the one that got away. Yeah. Oh. Wow, so I, I bought the NME and devoured it religiously from being 13. I remember the first NME I bought and it had Ted, Ted Nugent on the front, sat on the toilet. <laughs> and, and There's the, a the, metaphor. Yeah, and, and the NME was, was, was my window on the world. You know, before the internet, here's all these you know, alien people who've got this insight into this other world that's out there. And it was it was about you know ninety eight pages and it was very inky and you got it all over your hands and up your clothes, <laughs> but you got a sense of of another world being out there and you know Bowie and Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground and it was quite heavyweight sort of intellectual probably pretentious you would say. Oh so really? So you wouldn't understand it. So who you know who is Dostoevsky and who was William Burroughs and who were the Situationists and what is Dadaism? It sent you looking for that stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I. I read, I devoured that right down to the badge adverts at the back yes. for, for like 30 years. So I, I went to see the latest hot band, at, you know, right through in, until the early 2000s on the enemy's recommendation. So the Strokes, the Libertines and um, the White Stripes came through this uh, on the same wave, really. Yeah, yeah. And I saw the White Stripes at the Roadhouse. But I, but I, but, wow. but, um, I struggled with the Libertines. It was too, it was almost too rammed, and they didn't. 
impressed me as much as, as the strokes or the white stripes. But I've, I've come, I've come back to them. Do you know what what was interesting? Uh, uh, and this is um, this is meant to be purely positive. Uh, a few years ago, they um, I'm part of uh, Tim Peaks at Kendall Calling, which is a really small venue with Tim Burgess. And we had the Libertines come and play a secret set. I, I was there. Oh, you were there, weren't you? Because I was angling to do a poem uh, before they went on, and oh, we couldn't man. make it happen. I was there. And 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 Pete, I'm absolutely pleased to say, Pete Doherty now is is on the mend and is clean. Now my daughter again, who's here, she had a lot of mentions. We had <laughs> we had a talk about heroin because of that gig. Pete came and bless him, he was in a right mess. And it was it was a really nice chat with my daughter, and we were able to be frank. And you know what? Friday night she was like. Oh, Dad, he is brilliant because mm. he's he's put on weight. He yeah, looks yeah. healthy. He was he was able to. He was still Pete Doherty, but he was able to chat. But they still had that slightly raggedy edge, and it, it was it was great, wasn't it, Grace? It, it, and it was just so nice I, to see. I admire his lyrics. He came out of the poetry scene. He, he, yes, he used yeah, to he run uh, poetry open mics in, in in Covent Garden, and I know a lot of people who were on that scene with yeah. him. And he has poets supporting him, and. Um, I met Carl Barat. I the, the last poem in my book. My book's called Sex and Love and Rock and Roll, and a lot of it's about music. My last, the last poem in my book is called The Last Gang in Town? Question mark. And it, it's uh, a melange. It's made of Clash lyrics and Clash references, saying, "Will we ever see their like again?" Bands yeah. that, that mean it like that. Yeah. So when the Clash put their box set out about ten years ago, they did a uh, in audience with uh, live at Made Avail with um, oh, Kerry right. Matthews. So I, I was invited to do my poem on the show. So I, no way. I did my Clash poem in front of the Clash, which was a little bit scary. Yes. And then that night they released the box set. The box set was done like a, a ghetto blaster, like a big, you know, yeah, that's 1981 right. ghetto blaster. Yeah. And they had a pop-up shop in Soho. And uh, I wangled my way into that other night and it was just, it was just punk central. You know, I met Glenn, Glenn Matlock and Jonathan Ross was there. And Don Letts was there. And um, what's the supermodel called? Naomi Campbell. No, no. Kate Moss. Uh, Kate Moss was there. Pete Doherty's partner yeah, for a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I met Carl Barat that night, and um, yeah, he was a nice guy. It was. They they are sort of because I. It, it's almost like watching a new band for me. So I think they're like in their early twenties, but they're actually my age, you know, forty four and stuff. Uh, but I think they are <clears throat> that one band who are really um, maybe Fontaine's DC as well that have really got that uh, and Idols really got that punk. The, you know, they're the, 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 the energy punk. of those punk gigs at the Apollo in, in 78, 79, I, by the time I was there, they'd been, you know, the Clash had played Bellevue before, but those bands were only 19, 21, and three months before they'd been playing at, say, the Factory or the Poly, and they were one top of pop appearance, and they were catapulted onto um, the Apollo, you know, Apollo stage. And lots were only had one album, they only had 40 minutes of material. Yeah. I've known some of them to do the big single twice, yeah. but the, the but the end. But all of a sudden, they found themselves in front of three thousand fourteen, fifteen-year-olds. And, and the the energy. I've seen it with the Jam and some of those punk gigs. I've seen it with the Smiths. I've seen it with the Stone Roses. I think the Fontaines are getting yeah. there. Yeah. Well, it's a very rare thing when a band connects, not just with the students, but with the council estates at the same time. Yeah. And the, the, to be big, you've got to do that. Yeah. But the energy of that is. Quite something. And so, what else do you remember about the crowd that was at, you know, that series of gigs, uh, punk gigs? Violence. <coughs> uh, what was it? Yeah, really violent. Was it? There'd be fights, and the bouncers would punch kids and and throw you out. And I saw all the seats ripped up once at a, a stranglers gig. 
we used to um, we used to bung the bouncers to get in. If a ticket was four quid, if you if you waited till the, the main crowd was in, and you, and you paid them, they'd, they'd bring you around the side and let you in and, and run you run you up the stairs. How much would you have to pay them? Four or five quid when the tickets <laughs> were four or five quid. So I, I saw the I saw the Back in Black tour, ACDC. Uh, Where? At Apollo. At the Apollo. Yeah. So oh, I, I was incredible. I was I was uh, I was a punky kid, but a lot of some of my mates, where you'd say heavies, so you'd say heavies. And um, so that seeped across some motorhead that I was into. There's a punk, there's a bridge there, isn't it? Yeah, there is. Yeah. But ACDC, I really got into Bon Scott era, and then he died. Of course. But then uh, Back in Black came out, and um, what was that gig like? It's the first rock gig I'd been to, you know, metal gig. Yeah. I remember the banks of Marshall stacks, which punks really didn't go in for, and the volume, and they came out with the with the bell, you know. Yeah. And um, it's like, you know, Brian, uh, what you call it, Brian Johnson, the, the new singer, who's this guy? But it, it, it was amazing. It was amazing. The energy. I, and now I'm going to mention ACDC a few times. That they're astonishing. They, because it frustrates the life out of me, I've still not seen them. And I have tried really hard to see them. Maybe not hard enough, but just not willing to pay that much yeah, yeah, over yeah. the odds because they never get a ticket. But I believe they still hold the record for uh, loudest decibels. Um, uh, Motorhead beat them and then ACDC got it back but I, I, I've watched with my son they, there's, a, there's a, a, a HD, a high definition um, footage on YouTube of uh, one of their gigs in River Plate in South America you've got to watch it the crowd there is about a hun- over 100,000 it, it is un. Real. If, it's, it, it's incredible. If you haven't, if you haven't seen that ACDC at River Plate gig, it's, it's, it's literally 150,000 people in the sports stadium, and it isn't 10,000 people at the front. No. Pogoing. No. 150,000 people going, are going mental. The whole thing, yeah. and it looks like the sea. They look like the sea, and I uh, just think. And the guy walks out. If I, you know, I was going to talk about this stuff later. If I could have anybody's talent, any moment in rock. Yeah. Angus well, Young walks down a catwalk into the middle of a stadium, plays one note. <laughs> yeah. I just I just shivered then, holds his hand in the air Bam. and 150,000 that is the power of that is incredible. Well, I'm happy to go down an ACDC wormhole just Let's now. do it. Oh, I love it. Yeah, go love on. It. So, um, yeah, what what are your thoughts? It's it's a very basic rock template, isn't it? It's yeah. it's it's the blues. Mm. And and you know, uh, Angus Young isn't the lead, wasn't the leader of that band, band. His brother Malcolm was, was That's the right. engine of that band and, and called the musical shots. And I only saw them on the Back in Black tour. And I, and I, and I parted company with them for some of the Brian Johnson's albums, I have to say. I played the Bon Scott stuff, but I did see them at the uh, Etihad about three or four years ago with your man from um, Guns N' Roses, Axel Rose. Mm. Oh, when he singing. replaced And I have Brian. to say, it worked. He's, that, he's got the same screechy voice. Yeah. But, but Angus is 60 odd. And the miles he puts in, the energy he puts in, and what, what that man can do with two, two note riffs, ow, 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 you know, it's incredible. I, I still hope to see them because I hear that. So, uh, Brian Johnson dropped out because of ear problems, yeah, yeah. and he, they were, to, you know, the doctors told him, you might go deaf, you might yeah, yeah, yeah. completely lose your hearing. How did that happen? Uh, really? I know, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised it didn't happen earlier, but I believe he's going to be coming back for some gigs you're going to ask me at the end for a gig recommendation and I was going to say if you haven't seen them they've probably only got one more tour in them and I know. you can see, see ACDC if you can because it's just 
everything you want in a rock band. The the, the blueprint is there, you know. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they are. They are incredible. Yeah, Some of the lyrics don't bear a lot of scrutiny by uh, by yeah. modern standards, but uh, just sheer power. But not to know Gallagher's. Well, there we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, the story of of, of Scritchy Politi starting again, uh, starting as a live entity in two thousand and six, is kind of. It, I mean, it's it's, in, it's interesting the way he did it, which is well. I'm trying to, how do I tell this story? <laughs> I mean, I so it's January two thousand and six, and and I heard that he'd done a gig, and I was like a massive Scritchy Politi fan. Like you know, in the mid eighties, I bought Cupid and Psyche as a a chubby thirteen year old boy. I just thought they were. Uh, <laughs> Mag- Mag- magnificent and anyway i heard that he'd done a gig under the name double g and the traitorous three at the windmill in brixton and i was absolutely livid with this friend of mine that they didn't tell me about it i was like what do you mean you didn't tell me that green did a gig and a few days later i was in a pub uh in dalston and, I, and he and he was at the bar and i went up to him and said uh i was awfully upset to have missed this gig and he said oh you know there'll probably be some more but i need to find a keyboard player because the current one is going away to the usa you know no do you, do you know anyone and i'm like yeah, well, I I play keys, and he was like, "Oh, great, okay, give me your email address. I'll email you tomorrow." And it turns out that he basically hired the whole band from that pub. He was just chatting to people, <laughs> and, and, uh, asking if they fancied playing a few songs. So, like, it was a local plumber on drums and the barmaid on bass. And the reason I say all this is that it it made for a very strong social unit. Yes, that made him able to get up there because part of his fear was that he would just he, he would be on you know be on stage with a bunch of crack musicians and would just feel inadequate and nervous, you know, even more nervous. Whereas if he went on stage with a bunch of pals, he would find it a lot easier. So, so yeah, it, it was, <laughs> it was a strong social unit, but it was a baptism of fire because we were, you know, there were some people learning instruments as they went, you know what I mean? And like that, something like our 12th gig was at this stadium in Tokyo with like Daft Punk and the Charlatans. And we were like rabbits mm-hmm. in headlights. It was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> what? Yeah. 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 So no way. Yeah. Um, there's one thing I before that. we get back on to live music again I just wanted to ask you quickly and you don't have to answer it it's absolutely fine but um, it's just about <laughs> it can't not ask you about working briefly with Phil Spector um, and I know it it, 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 <laughs> it looks like it didn't it didn't turn out as planned but what what, what do you remember about the the kind of relationship the work working with with um specter was it on the second album yeah yeah um it's obviously difficult to i guess you have to transport yourself back to that time because it's difficult to say anything positive about someone who's um yeah well we all know what kind of happened no absolutely afterwards. i mean i was more more interested in the, the, this the style of his production yeah the, um yeah, like like I say, if we kind of imagine how people felt before all that came out, yeah, then yeah, the uh, the first few days when we recorded "Silence Is Easy" were amazing, and um, he sort of implemented his wall of sound and opened up the echo chambers in the studio. Um, yeah, it was. I was a big fan of. Um, I'm still a big fan of Dion. Yeah. Um, so people, people, obviously John Lennon. He, he, worked on Imagine and all these incredible works with the Beatles as well. Mm. Um, but it was Dion that really, that Born To Be With You album, that was why I was 
excited to work with Phil Spector. Um, but then it sort of went downhill after that, really. It just, uh, um, I was speaking about it the other day about how he's very, he's very controlling, um, not so much with us, but he didn't want the label to, to be involved with the process or to hear any any kind of works in progress, which they didn't take too kindly to because they were yeah. paying for the record and they're like, Phil Spector was like, you'll hear it when it's finished kind of thing. So that created a, a tension between those two parties and we were sort of caught in the middle. I was going to um, say, yeah, he, that's, you, he, you, he, you don't want to be caught in there. He insisted on working odd hours as well. He, he came over from LA and kept LA time. So we were starting late and finishing in the early hours of the morning um, and I just had my daughter at the time so I was going home to a, a baby as well it was quite a oh, quite a yeah. tense time yeah did you genuinely feel that he he brought something new to your sound um yeah I think he's he the sound of silence is easy particularly that track is uh, still holds up um mm. but I don't there isn't anything that he he did that we've sort of carried forward what he does is so unique or, mm, or was yeah. was so unique so it's impossible to kind of take any sort of advice or any any aspects of his sound and carry it, it forward that's him much, yeah. Much, oh, yeah well thanks for that because I, I i think i would have kicked myself if i've not if i'd not <laughs> asked you Told you it was a plethora. Absolute plethora had our head off there, right, didn't we? We, um, we really are lucky. We we have had some just uh, amazing guests and we have got some more absolutely belting guests lined up. Just the, 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 the conversations I've been having with PRs and people themselves and people who I sent emails to and didn't expect even a response and they've gone, well, yeah, all right. Um, but, but a bit busy just now, but how about November? And yeah, it's, it's yeah, we've got some absolute crackers coming up. I cannot wait to and get my teeth into this lot. My my mum, your sister, our neighbour's yeah. dog. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we want you to get on board. So we are still on our social media pages and we'll be giving you all a nudge. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our handle is at Gig Stories Pod, and our website is um, gigstoriespodcast.com, or is it mm. the gigstoriespodcast.com? Oh. 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 Try them both. <laughs> God, we are rusty. <laughs> um, but on, on our website, gigstoriespodcast.com, you can find all of our episodes and you can find a page dedicated to each of our guests, which have a playlist for each each episode and also loads of videos and some photos. And there's also a page of galleries featuring gigs that um, we've talked about on, on some of our, our episodes. So, yeah, go there, get in contact. Um, info at gigstoriespodcast.com and yeah just get in touch and let us know if you are going to be speaking to a pal of yours and taking them to a gig which 
it can take them out of their comfort zone or maybe it just hits them sideways and it's something that they would never have gone to and you might introduce them to a new genre of music, let alone a new band. Whether it's Stormzy at your local arena or Curtis Steigers at your local jazz bar, whatever it, it might be. I don't know why I chose them but it just came to mind. Now, what, what I'd also like to do uh, in, in our future episodes is when you hear the lovely dulcet tones of Chris and I, we are going to ask each other a question that we will try and quickly answer, but that will be for you as well, listener, because I think we realised we ask so many questions in these podcasts and then we ask you to answer them. It's all a bit vague. So, we want you involved, as we say. We want you to be a part of our podcast community. And we're not we're not reinventing the wheel here. But we know that many of you, like Mr. and Mr. Geek here, just love chatting about music in general. And so we will ask a pointed question. And so I'm going to surprise Chris right now before we finish this episode by saying, Chris, today you can have one artist in your front room and they're doing a 30-minute set. It's, it's just them, though. So there's no backing band. It's just them. Who's it going to be? Mine, Jeff Buckley. Oh, Yours. you can do it like that. Okay. Absolutely. Um... Absolutely. I'm going to have Jeff Buckley play, and I'm going to uh, dictate the set to him, uh, and he will finish uh, with Last Goodbye. Okay. Um, I would have Randy Newman. And oh my would, gosh, I did not expect that one. And he would finish with short people. Why are you looking at me? <laughs> are you from, this, is one twice, of... this is twice in, 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 in one <laughs> Unbelievable. It was like the end of The Usual Suspects where I was looking around the, the walls and seeing what I could see. And then I just saw you and thought, <laughs> random human short people. <laughs> What, no, what time, honestly, what time I love Oh, Randy Newman is just the, the he's just a genius. But Short People is is one of the funniest. Oh, I, I just love it. I love that song. Um, but he's, yeah, I'd have Randy Newman on the, his on the mouth. piano. Covering his mouth with his hand, which is all the signs of just, he just can't stop laughing. Looking you know, it's, it's, it's a professional footballer on, on, on the pitch. That's what I'm doing. That is just, a great but, shout. That is a great shout. And you know yeah. what? What I like about that question as well is if, if you ask me or I ask you that question next week, I'll probably say something different. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a good one. So, listeners, right now, as you're listening to this, later on today, you've got a guest in your living room doing a half-hour set. No backing band, so it's acoustic or just them and an amp. Who's it going to be? Who's Singing gonna be? Acapulco. I mean, acapella. Yeah. Ac- <laughs> Going local down <laughs> Acapulco. And on that note. And you're glad we're back, eh? <laughs> thanks for joining us. And we'll Thank see you, you next time very, very soon with uh-huh. our next guest. Yes. Woohoo!